0: Hey everyone, welcome to episode 163, Borrowing Worry. Meet our mom, Kelly Hutchison. She is a life coach. She is a child counselor. She is a teacher. She's a parent coach. And she's a mom to us. She will teach you to stop yelling at your kids. She will teach you to get your kids to listen. She will teach you how to never sleep with mommy guilt again. She will teach you how to be an imperfect mom. So you can help your kids be imperfect too. And And have have harmony harmony in the home. So you all are going to love this episode because if you are a worrywart like me, Sometimes we think that worrying is actually doing something to benefit us. So we think if we do it more and we do it longer and we're stronger about it, then it will prevent us from feeling any tricky emotions. So to unpack worry a little bit, the reason why you see kids and they're so fancy free and they're just worry free and they don't seem to have a care in the world the reason why is because they don't. They don't have life experiences. They don't have pain, trauma, all the stress that has led up to why we worry. So, when we can kind of garner some of that worry free energy from our kids, not be jealous of it, but just remind ourselves that we were once that worry free child. So, we all know we should worry less. So, when you're very worried about something, someone's saying to you, don't worry. I wish it worked, but it absolutely doesn't. So your kids will start to develop worries over time. And instead of telling them not to worry, it's okay to tell them to lean into the worry. When I was nervous before a soccer game, my dad would always say, that means you care. And what he was trying to do is normalize it versus don't worry. Don't worry, because that actually makes it worse for the worrier because... They're already worried. So telling someone, especially if they're a people pleaser or they're like a a do-gooder kind of kid, then they think they're doing something wrong because they're worried and they shouldn't do it. And whenever we feel like we shouldn't be doing something it adds worry on top of the worry. It's kind of like before Lily took her, uh, one of her tests in elementary school, it was like one of the state tests and everybody kept telling her to get a good night's rest. And they kept telling her and they said it on the announcements. And then the principal came to the classroom to tell him, then the teacher said it. And then there was a note that went home and then the assistant principal came in and she's like, mama, now I can't sleep. They're telling me to get a good sleep. And she's never had sleep issues before. And all of a sudden she couldn't sleep because there was so much focus on the sleep, if that makes sense. So I love this quote. It says, Worrying doesn't." take away tomorrow's troubles. It takes away today's peace. And I love this quote by Van Wilder. He says, worrying is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, but it doesn't get you anywhere. So I don't want you to take away your worry bear. Cause I know I wasn't really a worried kid. Didn't have a lot of worries or stress as a kid, even in a young adult. But once I became a parent, I was so wanting to do it all right. So then I worried that I was doing it all wrong. And then I was doing it more wrong because I was so worried about doing it in a certain way. I thought there was one path and I had to follow that path. And if I veered off that path, then my good mom card was going to be taken from me. Now, who's going to take that card? It's going to be self-proclaimed or self-taken away. So being good mom, like who defines that? It's all a construct made up in our own brain. And so there's something that the brain does when you're aware of it. You can kind of call yourself on it versus going further down the rabbit hole. Like when my kids were younger, I just worried they weren't going to have any friends because they were such introverts. They clung to my legs. Grady would go and hide. I worried that they weren't ever going to read. I worried that Lily was for some reason, never, ever, ever, ever going to be off the bottle and be, because she would never drink liquids out of the sippy cup. So I worried and worried and worried. I never dreamed that Grady would be pie trained. So a lot of worries, I can see them now almost giggling at them, but not laughing at them in a shameful way, but just like, of course I was worried. I had never done it before. So I think a lot of the parenting worry comes from, we've never done this before. When we're driving a car for the first time, we're so worried because we don't want to mess up. Obviously we don't get in an accident. We don't want to cut anybody off. We don't make any other people upset. We want to follow the rules. We don't want to get a ticket. And that worry dissipates over time with practice and confidence develops over time. So the same thing happens with parenting. The trick with parenting is that your kids constantly change. So I don't know if you remember when David was talking on episode 100 about how one of the hardest parts of parenting for him and also for myself is once you think you have the potty training down and you're like, I got this. We're out of diapers. We got the potty training down. We don't have to do the M&Ms anymore. We don't have to do the Cheerios and the potty. Like they are potty trained. And then all of a sudden... It's teaching them how to read. And then once you teach them how to read, then it's teaching them how to understand what they're reading. Then in, you can see how you're always your child is always growing and developing, and that's how it should be. There's nothing wrong with that. But the worry comes up because it feels like the first time you're parenting. Just when you start to get your rhythm and your flow, something comes up. It's a new grade level, a new sport, a new friendship issue. They're learning to drive. Their friends might be experimenting on things that you don't feel comfortable with. They made the team. They didn't make the team. They need tutoring and reading. They don't need tutoring and math. So what the brain does is it actually starts to borrow worry. When it doesn't have something to worry about, like if things are just flowing, then the brain will say, huh, this feels a little bit too calm. This feels a little too peaceful. I'm getting a little nervous here. We need something to fixate on. We need something to worry about. It doesn't really make up things, but it starts to look for things. And the reason why is because your brain is trying to protect you from future pain. So don't be mad at your worry bear. You'll see the kids and their worries develop over time and with experiences. So nothing has gone wrong when your kids worry or when you worry or when I worry or your parents worry or your greedy, greedy, grand peppy worries. Nothing has gone wrong. It's the brain's job of trying to protect you. So we're not mad at it. It's kind of like when the ego makes us upset. We're not mad at the ego. We just want to understand it. And when we can understand it, we're not pushing against it so much. We allow it to come in a little bit more. And sometimes I will say to my sisters, I'll say, I'm really borrowing worry about this coming up for this trip that's coming up for this volleyball trip or this baseball trip or this family trip. I'm borrowing worry. And it kind of calls it out and it doesn't have so much power over you. Kind of like when Lily was... Too and not playing with anybody on the playground, I was like, I don't think she's going to go to prom. I wish I was conscious at the time to remind myself that this is your brain just doing the brain's job. Because what can happen is we can borrow so much worry that we can actually create what we don't want. Because when we're hyper focused and we're perseverating and we're overthinking and we're just so focused on them not playing with other kids, let's just use that as an example when she was on the playground. Then your brain goes and looks for evidence to support that worry because it feels so important. It feels so normal to do. So whenever she wasn't playing with anyone on the playground when she was two, you can imagine how it was at birthday parties, on playdates, at Chuck E. Cheese, when my parents would come over and she would run and hide from my own parents or David's parents or family members, her cousins. I was like, "Yep, there it is." I knew I should have worried, and so it gets in this cycle where the brain says, "You shouldn't worry, you shouldn't worry, you shouldn't worry," and then you go look for evidence that of what you're worried about, and then you end up looking for more evidence of it to support the worry, like you're standing on trial and you need lots of evidence to support your case, and then we actually manifest what we don't want because we're so hyper focused on it instead of allowing your brain to feel the feelings, not looking for more evidence of it and calling herself on it. Like, oh, I'm borrowing worry like I did when they were potty training. I'm borrowing worry like I did when I didn't think she was going to go to prom, which sounds so ridiculous right now. She's actually at the mall with like a hundred friends. So it sounds so ridiculous when I say that when she was two, but we're not conscious of our thoughts. We can go off and we can ride the worry train until we don't even know what's happening. Cause it didn't start with, she's not playing with anyone on the playground. She's never going to go to prom. And who cares if she doesn't go to prom? Like, like question what you're even worried about. Like, why is prom even important? It's so silly to say out loud, but I think because it's so silly, you can kind of see the silliness in our own thoughts when we go down the, the, the worry train and it feels very important. It gives the brain something to do because the brain is very nervous. It wants to seek pleasure, avoid pain, and be efficient. It does not want to feel pain again. And it's felt pain before, and it remembers that, holds on to that. And it's like, oh, no, no, no. We're not going down that road again. We're not going down that. So we're going to hyper and we're going to perseverate on a child who's just being a child, and we're going to project all of our worries onto them, find evidence for it, and then turn into a cray-cray parent. It's very normal. We all do it. We're all going to do it on some degree. And the more aware of it you are, the more you do, you're not so mad at yourself for it. I love the quote I posted. It's like, no one in my family even cares that I stayed up all night worrying about them. It's, it's about a mom. She's just looking at her family and they're like, no one even cares that I stayed up all night worrying about them. Where's the thanks? It's so true. And so I asked you all on Facebook, you guys are so, so good with your info because there's only certain things that I can think of based on things that moms and dads I've worked with and also things that I've experienced personally. And so asking you on Facebook and Instagram helps me so much to expand the different things that we're worried about. And I said, what's something you used to worry a lot about with your kids, but it's sorted itself out with age. Cause because we've never done this before, Especially the firstborns, I feel like they are the brunt of all of our like stuff because we want to do it right and we want to make it perfect and we have no point of reference. I think I've told you before when I was teaching first grade, if I had a penny for every single time a parent asked me, is my child going to be dyslexic because they're making their sixes, they're making their S's backwards, they're making their B's and their D's backwards, I would be a good billionaire because the parents had no point of reference that this is normal, this is part of the age, this is part of the stage, this is developmentally appropriate. keep your eye on it, you can practice it. But they didn't know that I was asked 10 times that day already because they had no point of reference. So a lot of you think said things like, They were never going to stop sucking their thumb, their overall hygiene, their grooming, potty training, kids choking on their vitamins or food, sleeping through the night routines, potty training, potty training, tantrums, not sharing. Oh, that was a big one. You should have seen me turn into a cray cray lady when my two or three year old did not share because all I could think about was they better share because if in first grade, if they don't share, they're going to upset their first grade teacher learning to swim or ride a bike, going from a bottle, my daughter's attitude. She was a hateful person to be around between 14 and 16. Then she kind of just grew out of it. Breastfeeding. I never thought they'd be able to sleep in their own beds. When they were 13, I used to lie down on their bed in the dark and they would tell me things that were bothering them. Wait for them to open up without staring into my eyes and feeling awkward. Every once in a while, they will ask for a hug now and again. Dancing, my kid has zero rhythm. I thought she would just be left-footed forever. She was invited into her ballet company ahead of her peers when she was 16. Like, what? A lisp, food pickiness, bullying. <laughs> I thought my child would be walking down the wedding aisle with the binky in his mouth. Teenage moodiness, still waiting. When they sleep, that they would stop breathing. I invested a lot of sleep monitors in the early days. ADHD, focusing in school, making friends, and watching him win. Feeling like I was never doing enough. They just wanted me, although they did not appreciate the clean house, LOL. So true. So you can kind of see it in other people and you can see it in my story. It's very hard to see within yourself, especially when you're in the middle of it. But the brain is actually going to, when things are going smooth or when they're not going smooth, it's going to borrow that worry to try to prevent something from happening. I was working with a mom and she has a history of alcoholism in her family and she's so worried about her daughter becoming an alcoholic. And I was like, oh, wow, is she showing signs? How old is she? And she said she's six years old. And the reason why she was so worried about it is because the brain was like trying to prevent that from happening. And so she finally came to the eureka moment of she's six years old now. I'm not going to worry about it until I cross that bridge. And, if I cro- and even if I cross that bridge, we will figure it out when we get there. But worrying about it when she's six, I'm not going to borrow worry until she's 16, 17, 18. And that was very freeing for her to know that her brain was even borrowing that worry based on past pain and trauma that she had experienced when she was a child in issues that she had and issues that her parents had and her siblings. So when you know that your brain's borrowing worry, you're not so mad at it. And you can let it borrow it, but you can also spend the time in the other half playing out worst case scenarios. Like once I became conscious, I'm like, okay, what if she doesn't go to prom? Okay, then what? Then what? And that's why so many of you love the previous episode about checking your side of the street. And as long as your side of the street isn't modeling the drinking or the yelling or the negative behavior that you don't want to see. Then you can just kind of enjoy it a little bit more and focus on your side of the street even more and not borrow worry to take away from today's joy of all the good that's happening. A lot of parents do it sometimes with their kids' sports. If I don't get them in sports early enough at four or five, then at 14 or 15 or 16 or 17, they're not going to get a scholarship. They're not going to make the high school team. Then they're not going to have a social life. Then they're not going to, then they're not going to, do you see how far that goes down the line? And so when we think of our life, just kind of like riding the waves of life. And they might not make the team. And so you play out the scenario. What if they don't make the team? What if they don't get the A? What if they don't go to prom? What if they don't have any friends? What if they're more of a homebody? What if they just like to read books? Okay. And then, and then what? We have to take the judgment away that something's wrong with that way of living. And we just learn to get out of the way and we just pull back and pull back and pull back and we step out of the way to let them figure out what works for them, how to figure out their own wings. Because what was happening before when my kids were little and I was unconscious and I was hyper-focused on their antisocial behavior and their shyness and their clinginess, or Grady who was running for the hills every time we got to a place, when I was so hyper-focused on that, I was micromanaging from a place of on the way to the Chuck E. Cheese, on the way to the birthday party, on the way, on the way. I was literally drilling them with so many rules and regs that their heads were spinning, that they didn't have a chance to kind of figure it out on their own because they were so focused on pleasing me and not getting in trouble. My energy was so much and so intense that they didn't have a chance to kind of even work on their own wings because they were so worried about my wings. Like, I got to make this chick happy. She's not happy a lot. She has some snappiness. She has some aggression. Like, okay, should I stay or should I go? They're kind of looking in between. They're waffling in between who they are supposed to be and who we want them to be and need them to be so we can feel like a good parent. That's where the ego gets so strong. Because we think that our kids' behavior or what our kids do or don't do, their accomplishments or their failures means something about us. It's kind of like if you ever dated someone who's like super hyper jealous or they're like super hyper into you and you're like, listen, I like you. And I just, this energy of you like being so jealous or like so into me, or so I don't have a chance to like, like you back because it's so suffocating. And sometimes we can suffocate our kids with worry and projection and, and almost suffocate them with our love, which sounds wild because they don't have a chance to exist in between us and them and our relationship. I was coming in so hot with Lily that she was like, I don't even know what to do with you. Like she couldn't push me back because she didn't know what was happening. And same with Grady. They didn't have any space within us and our relationship to kind of become grown and flown because they were they had this micromanaging, helicopter, hyper-focused mom watching their every move at Chuck E. Cheese to make sure that they were being social and make sure they're saying, please and thank you, make sure that they were doing all the things that they were supposed to do. I had such an agenda. And at three and five, that's a lot of pressure. And sometimes it might show up in our sports where we're hyper-focused in the stands. You need to do this, you need to do this. And we might lecture them on the way there and lecture them on the way home when all they want to hear is, I love watching you play. I know as an athlete, anything my mom or dad said, or even my sisters, one ear and out the other, and they could tell me a hundred girls and one criticism like, yeah, you know, I think you should. I'd be like, mm, I, they think I'm horrible. It would throw the baby out with the bathwater. Now, if my coach said it, that's one thing. But if my mom or my dad or my sisters or one of my best friends said it, threw the baby out with the bathwater. And the crazy thing is a lot of times we criticize our kids or we try to give them advice in sports that we never played or positions we've never played. That's the crazy part. It might show up in grades where you turn into a cray cray lady. I know it turned up for me in sight words. Oh my goodness. My kids, if they didn't know their sight words by like kindergarten, I turned into a cray cray lady because the first grade teacher was borrowing worry. The first grade teacher in me was borrowing worry that they were never going to read and write. I figured they would pick it up and they knew their sight words, but they would never get to a point where they're reading like chapter books or like not reading The Cat Likes to Run, The Dog Likes to Run. I knew they could read those books. But after that, I was like, it's never going to happen. Like I borrowed so much worry. And I know that was the first grade teacher in me. So now, but I wasn't conscious at the time. I can look back now and see it. But it's going to happen no matter what. It's going to happen based on your pain, based on your experiences, based on your life experiences. And our kids don't have any of that. So we just kind of let them flow and fly and build their wings. And we get out of their way. We're the cheerleader. We're in the stand. We pull away that micromanaging helicopter support because they don't need it. It's actually crippling them. It's actually clipping their wings. And I didn't even know that I was clipping my own kids' wings until I knew and figured out that I was clipping my own kids' wings. And what happens is when you get out of the way, you're people-pleasing, overachieving, do-gooder kids or the ones that are super rebellious, they kind of get their own footing, their own bearing. They start working on their wings and you'll see them fly in ways that you've never seen them fly before because we aren't crippling them with our love, with our micromanaging, with our borrowing worry, with our projection. We can actually love too strong and too hard because it's done in an unhealthy way versus an unconditional way. Like you don't need to do or be or act or get a grade or get the team or have the room, or do any of that to receive and to garner any of my love? It's already there. Does that mean you let them have their room trashed all the time? Absolutely not, but it's not conditional. It's not based on their... You're not going to ration out your love based on how they do on the, on the field, how they do with their room, how they do with their grades, how they do with their sports, how they do in their relationships... You get out of the way, focus on your side of the street and they will feel that lack of pressure and start to build their wings and that's where they learn to fly. And when they don't have that pressure and they're building their own wings, that's when you start to have more harmony in the home because you get to actually enjoy it versus having to micromanage and control it all. I love you guys and I'll talk to you next week. Bye-bye. Hey mamas, thanks for listening. If you had any ahas, clicks or those lightning bolt moments while listening, you have to check out my free parenting boot camp, where we take all of this to the next level and we try to create even more awakenings for ourselves so that we can connect more with our kids and never yell at them again. You can sign up at www.coachingkelly.com and if you really wanna fill up my love cup, send me an email of what your aha was, what your click was, what was that lightning bolt moment while you were listening I want nothing more in life than for you to have harmony in your home and to learn how to be an imperfect mom like me, which allows your kids to be imperfect too, each and every day. Thanks for listening.